Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. In the 830 service, I had somebody come up to me right before and said, man, that sermon last week was fantastic. It's like, thanks so much. As I am prone to do, this is what I asked. I said, uh, hey, tell me what God said to you that would make you encourage me with that. Because I'm really encouraged that you came up and said that. You're not prone to this. So I'm just asking the question. Oh, it was all about fishing. So thanks. (laughs) Cool, man. Thanks for that. And he laughed. Um, Today is not about fishing. I I know. (laughs) In fact, uh, there's, there's not many, probably any, Funny jokes. Uh, th- there's not any really great illustrations. Uh, James is going to get after us today. And so if you uh, would go ahead and fasten your seatbelts, keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times, we're going to look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Um, some of you may know that we've been tracking through James, and you think, wait, we skipped some verses. That's right. We're coming back to them here uh, in a couple of weeks when Orphan Sunday happens. James talks about how our faith it goes into practice and uh, specifically looking um, at how it relates to those who are in need in society. We'll pick that back up. I promise you, we're not just going to skip it. Uh, but today it's James chapter two. You ready? Verse one, my brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man uh, wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, here, you sit in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or here, just have a seat right here at my feet on the floor. Uh, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? And are not they those who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill, verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable to all of it. For he who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't commit murder. If you don't commit adultery and you commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, that is thick right there. Okay, so... uh, I want to um, give you three words to think about. I'll kind of let James um, set these out for us. Uh, but the, the first one involves the situation in which he is describing. Okay, James, so back to verse 1. Brothers and sisters, uh, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Partiality, it's a, um, a, a word that when you kind of do the thing to help people understand uh, what the original language is, it's the lifting of the face. Um, you're the king, two people come in before you, they bow before you um, in reverence, to, and you grab the face of one and you lift it. You're showing them partiality. The way that you might translate this is that you are uh, something in a little bit more modern parlance. You are playing favorites. You're giving preferential treatment to some. Now listen, that is easy to do. Can we just confess that out loud and be okay with one another? That is easy to do, especially when they are like me and not unlike me. 
That is easy to do not only when they are like me, but also when they can do something for me. Yes, I would give preferential treatment. I would play favorites to the one who can help me, who can do something for me. That is what partiality is. Playing favorites or um, as a kind of preferential treatment to to lift the face of. Um, And and, um, in, in the local congregation... Meaning, uh, so picture yourself uh, in maybe one of your Sunday school classes or small groups, uh, for those of you who are part of our church family, a a group gathering, okay? This is the idea because those are the sizes of congregations uh, that James is writing to. And it goes something like this. You're sitting there in the circle getting ready, and you would say to yourself, okay, James is like, okay, here's what would happen. Um, A a guy comes in, or a lady comes in, just your choice, comes in, well-dressed, very well-dressed, um, jewelry on, nice hair, whatever the heck that means, fancy shoes, Rolex watch, rolls in, you're like, oh, hello, come on in. And right behind that person walks in somebody shabbily dressed. Now, I don't know what shabbily dressed looks like to you. You think, oh, well, that's my teenager. Whatever it may be, okay? So, whatever that may be, that's, that's what you think, okay? Those two walk in. And the question is, in James's mind, in verse 2, um, one walks in uh, wearing a gold ring, fine clothing, comes into your assembly. A poor man in shabby clothing comes in. If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Here, have a spot on the couch. Here, please sit in the recliner. Here, here's one of the padded chairs that we're going to get for you. Are you thirsty? Do you need something to eat? Can I make you a plate? These kinds of things. This is what's happening. Um, excuse me. Uh, and then the, to the poor man, you say, um, you stand over there or just sit down at my feet. Uh, you know what? Probably not best that you sit here. Why don't you sit over there? Or here's a spot on the floor just for you. Uh, I don't really have a plate. I got like a napkin. Sorry. He says in, in verse four, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? Become So here's... Here's what I want uh, us to see. In, in first century Rome, that Roman Empire, it was not easy um, to change kind of social standing and status. So one of the ways to do that would be to get into a group and become kind of the patron of that group. And then when you become kind of the patron of that group, well, then you've got some standing and some status. This is the kind of idea that was unfolding. And James says, if you want to be really clear with one another about this, that in that moment right there, when I am paying attention to the one and not the other, when I am giving preferential treatment to the one and not the other, when I'm playing favorites with the one and not the other, that is partiality. And he's going to go on to say um, that that is sin. And some of you think, look, okay, let's just pause here. If I'm in a small group and they're coming over to my house or my friend's house or whatever, we're in Sunday school, and a guy walks in dressed, a girl walks in dressed, fancy shoes, all of that. There is no way I'm going to give them preferential treatment. Like, I mean, like, I, I mean, if, if I know that Jesus rose from the dead, but my mom or grandma would come back from the dead and haunt me if I treated people like that and wasn't hospitable to them. There's no way that I would make that distinction between somebody who walked in and was dressed nice and somebody who walked in and wasn't. Okay, okay. So maybe it's not that for you. Maybe the rich-poor distinction is not difficult. James, that we've, we've uh, put the subtitle of this series as Real Talk and Gritty Faith. Are you ready to get gritty? No? Okay, good. <laughs> what about politics? Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> that, 
They have a different sign than you do in your yard. They may know more about your politics than they do about your faith. Shame on us for that. So you treat them differently than those who would agree with you. Education. I just made a list. Hey, this person, you know, it was like barely getting by. This person, multiple advanced degrees. I treat them one and not the other. Or, since we're here and we're just talking, okay? This is not in the notes. The way that I choose to educate my kids. Um, What about their looks? Oh, we don't treat people different because of their looks. Uh, What if one is thinner than the other? More attractive than the other. What about their age? Um, What about their race? Oh, I would never distinguish based on race. Never? Okay, never. Um, What about their victimhood? Meaning like the things that they've gone through... I like what they have gone through because I've been through something similar. Those other people who've gone through that other stuff, it's toxic stuff. It's radioactive stuff. I don't want to touch that. Uh, Or just to push that a little further, what about their preferred method of sinning? (laughs) Anybody have sinners that they really like because you like sinning that way too? These people over here, they're my kind of sinners now. I mean, like, they can sin with me just like this, and I'm good for that. These people over here, that's gross. That's, like, disgusting sin. That's, that's unjust sin. That's, that's, like, harmful to society sin. These people over here, it's, like, nice sin. Gritty. James is gritty. And what he's saying in that moment is that person walks into your little gathering there. That person walks into your life, into your circle, into your sphere. And he says, if you treat one different than the other, you're showing partiality. You're playing favorites. You're giving preferential treatment. And further, you don't have the whole picture. So this is like you're in bad shape. Um, Look, continue on in verse 5 here. Well, excuse me, let's back up to verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You are judging and becoming a judge. That's what he's saying. But I, I, when I make that judgment right there, I don't have the full picture. This is, I may be basing my judgment on faulty premise. Look at verse 5. Uh, listen, beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? Meaning what? I may not have the best perspective on their spiritual status right there. They may look like they're doing okay. They may look like they're successful. They may look like they're killing it. They may look awesome. They may look all of that stuff. Or they may look terrible. They may look awful. They may, they may look whatever they look. I may not have the best perspective on what's going on in their life and how God actually sees them and how he might use them. Don't you know? It's the rich. God's chosen here. Just a little parentheses here. Does it mean that if you're poor, you automatically qualify for the kingdom? No. No. Poor people can love money just like rich people can. But what, what it does mean, 
is that my partiality in judgment is based on kind of faulty, faulty premises. It models the culture. And when we import the models of the culture into the church, we got problems. We got problems. And let me just do a quick survey. Do, do, do this. Look around the room right now. No, seriously. Like, turn your head and look. Look. Are you looking? Okay. Now, don't point. Don't point. Who is the most faithful and godly person in the room? Don't point. Does anybody know? You don't know. Why? Because you can't see the whole picture. This is what James is saying. Somebody may step in to your life, into your circle, into your living room, into your group, into this setting right here, and they may be the most godly, faithful person in the room. Their spiritual temperature of the room may rise just because they walked in, and you wouldn't know it because you're judging based on characteristics that you can see. Judgment, excuse me, partiality is judgment based on faulty premises. And secondly, um, well, just pause here. God doesn't, he's not partial. That's what Romans 2.11 says. So we don't need to be. And, and secondly here, partiality hinders us from seeing what is actually true about someone. Look at verse 6. But you have dishonored. Some of your translations may say insulted. You've insulted or dishonored the poor man. So the person that I am judging, I'm insulting. Um, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are not the rich who blaspheme? Um, are, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Meaning what? Uh, that partiality hinders us from seeing what is true about someone. I, Because of my judgment, I may, I may not be able to see what God is up to in their life. But I may not be able to see how God is at work in their life. Um, and, and furthermore, I may very well, because I'm playing favorites and giving preferential treatment to this other person, I may very well set myself up for being used. That's what he's saying. Are not the rich who drag you into court? You can imagine being in your small group and a rich person walks in. Like, oh, that'd be great. And you set yourself up. You put yourself in that kind of relationship where you're constantly managing them and their expectations. And you may be setting yourself up to use. Or worse, worse. Verse 7. Aren't they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You may be participating in their blasphemy. When we judge, that, that kind of partiality hinders us from seeing what is true about Someone. So that's the situation. What's the diagnosis? I'll give you uh, two statements here. Um, the first one actually backs up to verse one. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So w- what happens? Faith, faith begins to falter um, when we uh, or when we um, practice partiality. F- faith falters when we do this. When our partiality shows up, when, when we express it, faith begins to stumble. That, that's what he's talking about. When you're holding the faith, if you show partiality, you, you end up uh, faltering. Um, let me just get as plain as I can get here. <clears throat> James, getting after us. You cannot, you cannot be faithful and prejudicial. You can't. What James is saying here is that if we practice faith in Jesus, it will lead us toward one way. And if we practice partiality, it will lead us away from faith. You can't be, you cannot uh, be faithful to Jesus and prejudicial. Why? Why though? Because faith in Jesus says something like this. Every single person that you and I meet this week, 
Every single person that we encounter is created by God and marked by his image. They are created in the image of God Almighty. Every single one of them. Now, they may drive you crazy. They may be your best friend. They may be there for you or they may leave you hanging. They may cut you off in traffic or allow you um, to go first in line at the grocery store. But every single person that you and I meet, every single one of them, we created in the image of God. All the people on this side of the room, you know what's true about you? You're created in the image of God. And all you people over here, you're created in the image of God. Of God. These people over here, they sit towards that door so they can get out quick. You people over here sit towards that door so you can get out quick, but you're both created in the image of God. A few people are brave and sit up here on the front. You back row people, y'all are created in the image of God too. And you know what else is true? My faith says that, well, excuse me, when, when I practice partiality and, and, and um, what I miss is that each person is created in the image of God. But my faith, my faith allows me to see that each person is. And when I practice partiality, what I don't see is that they have a need for God. The the person that I am judging, the person I am uh, giving um, uh, a partial treatment to, uh, preferential treatment to, that I'm playing favorites with, they have a need for God. They need the saving grace of God to come into their lives and to transform them just like I do. And when 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 my faith falters, when I practice partiality, I don't. See that. So again, one more time. All of these sinners over here, I mean, just look at them. They desperately need God. And all of y'all desperately need his work in your life. All the folks up front, all the folks in the back, all the folks who are at home in their pajamas on the couch. All of us. And so do the people that you will encounter this week. That you like and that maybe you struggle to like, that you um, can easily connect with, and that you can't so easily connect with. Every single person is made in the image of God, and every single person um, needs Him, needs Him. So I need to recognize their need for God, and I can't do that if I'm playing favorites. And lastly, What happens when my faith falters is I also don't see what's going on inside of me. I don't recognize the revelation of my heart. Meaning what? Have you ever thought about why you don't like some of the people you don't like? Well, that's pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, I know why I don't like them. It's pretty clear. One of the things that I think is true, and this is certainly true about me, and I told the 830 service, like, James got after me too. One of the things that's true about uh, me is I don't like people who do the things that I don't like about myself. It's just me, huh? That's cool. I am typically judgmental towards people and I I work hard uh, uh, to, you know, kind of keep keep them or or, or distinguish them or or, or treat them in a different way um, uh, when I discover in them the things that I don't like about me. I don't know what would happen to you. Here's what would happen to me. You stick the digital meat thermometer inside of this heart right here, this one. At the core, you're going to find a self-righteous Pharisee. Because that's how I grew up. I grew up in a religious environment. I grew up uh, in a place where um, 
appearance really, really mattered. And I learned to do the dance. So one of the things I talk about a lot is how much I don't think self-righteousness is a good plan. You know why? Because I don't like it in me. And so I have to recognize, when I, when I show partiality, I, what I'm not recognizing is, hey, there's something that's true in here too. And I, I want to be somebody who then can give grace to everyone. Can I, can I show mercy to everybody? Faith falters in partiality. When there's partiality, faith falters. Second under here, and don't, don't miss exactly uh, what James is saying. Uh, look at verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing, once he's saying verse 9, you're committing what? What's the word? Sin. It's not an oops. It's not a mistake. It's not, oh, I'm just struggling here. You're committing sin. That's what it says. You're committing sin. You show partiality. You're committing um, sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So we sin in partiality. What, what does this mean? Well, verse 8 gives us the opportunity. We get the opportunity to fulfill the royal law. What law is that? That you would love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know what the ethic of the Old Testament is? You want to kind of put it in a summary statement. That's it right there. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? Neighbor is anybody that I choose to make a neighbor. Around here, we say neighbor is a verb. I just choose to be neighborly to that person. And that is loving my neighbor. What does this look like? What does this mean? Well, it looks like this. That I want, I want God's best for that person. And when it's appropriate to do so, I work to make that happen. Like, I want God's best for that person. That's love. And when it's appropriate to do so, I step into that to try to make that a reality for them. That's what it means to love your neighbor. There are two ways when we um, show partiality, when we play favorites, when we give preferential treatment, there's two ways that we are prone to sin. Number one, we capitulate, um, meaning that we just kind of give in like, oh, well, that's just kind of you. You just do you. You only live once. You do you, whatever, however that goes. But he says back in verse eight, if you really fulfill the royal law, what does that mean? There is a law. There is right and there is wrong. And he, just, he um, specifically says it's the royal law. So royal law did not come from a legislator who passed it in the lower house and it got to the upper house and then it got signed by the executive. Royal law comes from where? Because it's royal, it comes from a king. He didn't ask for our opinion and he did not ask for our vote. The royal law comes from a king. And so he is the one who decides right and wrong. He is the one who decides light and darkness. He is the one who decides good and evil. He is the one who does that. And so no matter what the culture says, no matter what the world says, no matter what's kind of brewing in the atmosphere of the situation in which you find yourself, listen, there is a royal law, and you and I don't get to draw the line in the places where we desire the line to be. He's already drawn it for us. We cannot capitulate. There's no clarity in that. But secondly, uh, we, we can also sin when we are callous. Callousness is the other way that we sin. We don't actually love our neighbor as ourselves. We don't want God's best for them. I, if I capitulate, I don't have clarity. If I'm callous, I don't have compassion. And so church family, may we be the people. James wants us. He's calling us. The voice of the Spirit of God is instructing us to be the people who step into Monday 
full of clarity as well as compassion. We sin. If you show partiality, you're committing sin. And if we break some of the law, I'm not an adulterer, I'm just a murderer. You're still a lawbreaker. That's what he says. And we who are the practicing judgment are the ones who find ourselves judged and thus we are in need of redemption. So what do we do? That's the situation. That's the diagnosis. What do we do? There is a remedy. Look at verse 12. So speak and so act as to those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Can I just pause here? Does anybody normally put law and liberty together, like mash them up in a sentence? No. Normally you're like, liberty is living out in West Texas where there's no speed limit on a freeway. Shing, you can go. Around here, there's law 65. Nobody drives that, by the way. We're either doing 35 because of construction or 95, right? I mean, that's the way that goes. But nobody connects law and liberty. Nobody does. James does. James says, and so the remedy is to do what? To live in the law of liberty. You, you experience, you want to live as somebody who has preferential treatment uh, towards somebody else. You want to live as somebody who plays favorites, who shows partiality. James says, no, no, there's a better way. That is the law of liberty. And he gives us four things under this. I just point these out to you. Um, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged. Accountability. Remember that there is accountability. You and I will stand before Jesus one day and give an account for what? For the way that we speak and we act. We might add in type. Uh, like like enter in or as as part of our speaking. So speak and so act and so post. As one who will be judged. Remember there is accountability. When we, re- when we remember, I'm going to stand and give an account to Jesus one day for the things that I say and the things that I do, that has a, just that moment, you picture your, in your mind that moment, it has a shaping Force for what you will and won't do, for what you will and won't allow in your life. Remember, there is accountability. Secondly, uh, remember that this is the better way. Like he says, it's the law of liberty. The opposite of liberty is bondage. If I show partiality, if I play favorites, then what is consistently happening is I'm going to have to continue to maintain this relationship so I get from it what I want. I'm going to have to consistently uh, work to make sure that they're in a good place so that, so that I am receiving from them the things that they can give me. If, I, if I'm lifting, if you will, lifting the face of someone, then I kind of have to continually lift that face and to show that person that partiality over and over and over again. And it becomes image management. It becomes um, relational bondage. Uh, Bondage, if you will, because I am beholden to their capacity or I'm scrambling to garner their approval. Is that any way to live? No. What, what's better than that? Oh, the law of liberty. What's the law of liberty? To love our neighbor as ourselves, to recognize that these people and these people and those people and those people... And the people who are highly educated in here and the people who are still working um, on trying to figure out some basic things about life and the people who um, are struggling in their relationships and the people who have all of their junk together. Like everybody, everybody can be said that they were created by God and in his image and they desperately need his redeeming work in their life. Everybody. That allows me to relate to everybody the same. 
I can look at people who are older than me and I can relate to them as people who are created in God's image and still need the work of God in their life. I can relate to people who are younger than me and say the exact same thing. I can relate to the people who look just like me and say, man, you're created in God's image and you desperately need God's uh, redemption in your life. You need his work in your life. I can look at people who look differently than me and say those exact same two things. I can look at people who sin just like me and say, I see you, you are made in God's image and there, there is a redemption that is to be had in Jesus. And I can look at people who sin differently than me in ways that I don't like, in ways that I don't respect, in ways that I wish they didn't, in ways that are uniquely self-destructive to them. And I can say, but you, you were made in God's image and you are in desperate need of his saving power to come into your life. This is the better way because I can relate to everybody just the same. I don't have to manage. I don't have to work to garner their approval. Thirdly, um, doorways of ministry. James starts the chapter with the kind of potential situation. Doorways of ministry are going to open. Opportunities will, will happen. Because you treat everybody the same. Because you see that they are made in God's image and that they are in desperate need of God's saving power to come into their life. So um, at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings, there's a group of us that gathers to pray. One of our guys who was there was telling me he went to Costco yesterday um, and was get, picking something up from the Costco pharmacy. And lo and behold, they want to go to lunch from 1.30 to 2. What's up with that? So they closed the pharmacy. I mean, those sinners they close the pharmacy so he's standing there in line he's got about 20 minutes he's like i can't get home and get back that's dumb there's a lady in front of him who's queued up also and so they're all kind of sitting around like this she turns around and goes man i'm just telling you i, I hope they get back soon my life is already wrecked i don't need to be standing here in that moment he goes okay What's going on? Well, I can't believe that my husband will leave me. And off she goes. 15 minutes worth of stuff. And he steps into that moment right there because he sees this woman who is created in God's image and is in desperate need of God's saving power to come into her life and says, listen, there's a God who will never leave you. I don't care what your husband did. There is somebody who cares for you. I don't care what people have said about you. There, you know, People have written your story, but there's a God who writes a different story for you and for me. He's awful. He's like, well, they're not open for eight more minutes. Hang in there, lady. Here I come. That doesn't happen if he doesn't see her created in God's image and desperately in need of the saving power of God. Doorways of ministry do open for you. But they won't open if I'm playing favorites. Last thing. If I have a verse in James, this is my verse. Verse 13. Judgment is without mercy to the one who shown no mercy. Meaning what? Exactly. Like if, if you get bumped and mercy doesn't come out, it's worthwhile asking, how much mercy have I actually received? Like, has it, has it soaked down into me like this? And here's the phrase. This is the one. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs in the end. The remedy is mercy triumphs. Why? It's not that there's not judgment. There is. How do you know? Because Jesus took it. I deserved it, but Jesus took it. On the cross, when he hung in my place and died for my sin, this is exactly what happened. 
He took the judgment that was deserved, that I deserved. He took the judgment that was headed my way. It was the freight train rolling down the tracks, and I'm stuck on the crossing uh, guard right there. Like, I'm the one who's going to get smoked by this. And he stepped in and took the blow for me. There was judgment. But that's not the end of the story. Mercy triumphs because Jesus rose from the dead. And I have forgiveness today because of that. You will not encounter someone this week who, no matter their situation and no matter their problem, if they turn to Jesus, he will not meet them with his stunning mercy. Why? Because mercy triumphs. Forgiveness can be theirs. Remedy can be theirs. Redemption can be theirs. If you're in the room today, you need to hear your world may be chaos right now. It may be all sorts of messed up. It may be terrible. It may be awful. It may be decisions that you made or it may be decisions that got made for you. Listen to me. Mercy triumphs. He's taken the judgment. And he's offering you mercy. So I'd like to offer a prayer. If you've never given your life to Christ today, today can be the day that you experience the mercy of God. For some of you, though, who are Christians, you just need to turn to the God and say, I know that when I turn to you, mercy is mine. Mercy is mine. Let me pray, and then we'll have a moment to respond. Uh, Father, thanks for um, a few minutes here. Um, in, to, in the things that you have said through James to us, in the ways that you have spoken and challenged us, brought conviction, would you please... Um, I prayed this at the beginning. Spirit, just don't take your foot off the gas. The world is full of people who play favorites. And despite all the talk about equity and inclusion and diversity, it's all junk compared to the the way that you want to do it because you recognize who you've made us to be and what you have done on our behalf. So please, please, God, help us to be shaped by you help us to be challenged and convicted by you help us to be changed by you transformed by you and thank you today that when you come after our hearts and you speak words like this that are full of grit and hard on us sometimes thank you today that we can turn to you and find mercy no matter our situation or circumstance we can find mercy Help us to turn to you now. Let us hear the words that you've spoken over us. Receive the things you have for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.